All right, so I'm live today. This is episode two of a live stream I'm going to do for at least a year, 52 weeks of cloud. And this is a sub podcast or live stream, 52 weeks of AWS, uh, because I don't want to only do AWS, but I'm doing so much AWS stuff, I, I figured I'd start there. So today, what I was going to uh, cover from an agenda perspective is talk a little bit about what's happening with the uh, AWS reInvent. I, I think that's probably a good place to start. And uh, let, let me start down here and take a look. So let's take a, 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 a grouping here of some of the key things here on AWS. In fact, I'll also just share my screen, probably make it a little bit easier to, to have people follow along who are looking at the video version uh, of this. But so just to start out here, I'm going to go through here and look at some of the the reInvent announcements. And maybe to start off with, we have uh, managed streams for Kafka. Yeah, I think this is pretty interesting. And, it, and notice that it's serverless as well. One of the trends that I think is going to happen in 2022 and beyond is that many people just don't want to manage virtual machines anymore. And I think we're going to reach a point where the virtual machine may just go away for 80% of the work. I think we're still at 80% of the work is a virtual machine, but I, I believe that we're going to have this flip and it may start to flip in 2022. That's again, just my, uh, my, my hunch here. I really like though that they have uh, these large scale uh, stream data processing systems that are open source. They're putting more and more tooling on them. Likewise, I think another one that's kind of interesting here is this uh, Amazon EMR serverless uh, preview. One of my biggest issues with EMR is that it really is opaque, right? It's very difficult to understand what's happening. You have to uh, use all these console tools and spin up clusters. And really the, the era of managing a cluster of machines is, is I think, going to go away. Or if you do manage a cluster, maybe have Kubernetes manage it or or some other technology. But this whole virtual machine cluster technology, I think, is going to be going away. And this is just yet one more example of it. So pretty cool announcement. And yet again, another serverless is Amazon, you know, Redshift serverless. I think the same thing here with with you know big building data warehouses is like, why do you want to manage the the Redshift cluster? It really has almost no value to your organization. You just want to deal with a data warehouse. So I would say that that's probably one of the cooler things that we're going to see here is that people are going to be really shifting towards serverless. So if you haven't gotten started with serverless, probably a really good time to start to dig into there a little bit. Okay, let's dive into the next one I see here, which is business uh, applications. So call summarization in contact lens. Pretty interesting uh, con concept here. I, I think summarization is starting to get mainstream now where there, there could be so much content that an organization has. Why not use off-the-shelf technology to summarize it? I know that uh, Hugging Face has some of this stuff as well. And I, I think this is really going to be a mainstream thing here where you just feed some kind of an agent or a tool at a big bunch of text and then it puts it into some kind of a summary and at the end of the day you get a, a report. So I think, I think it's pretty cool technology. Uh, another thing that here is containers, I think 
another trend in probably 2022 we're going to see is, and, and again, this highlights with what I was just talking about with virtual machines, but if you're not using containers, you're really not doing things in, in a modern way. And this idea that you can actually have a marketplace for containers and for applications that run on Kubernetes, this really does seem like a smart move from AWS. And I, I think this is just yet one more example of how the virtual machine world is starting to, to kind of get tipped over where obviously there's a marketplace for AMIs and you can rent them, all this stuff. But, but why when really the performance in terms of the response time is so much quicker for containers? So I think that's a very interesting uh, new trend here that we're, we're going to see. And in fact, uh, people that are you know developing software, if you don't have a container story, I think you may be in a little bit of trouble. Another thing that's kind of interesting here is all the compute options here. We see the uh, the, the Gravitron 3. Uh, you know, so if we just take a look at this real quick, let's just double check uh, what, if this is what I think it is. So the, the Gravitron f uh, 3 processor allows uh, basically better performance for uh, high-performance computing systems, batch-based systems, uh, and it's its own, you know, AWS-specific, uh, you know, you know, basically compute-intensive uh, instance. So I think these these Graviton processors are are pretty interesting because they give you the ability to, you know, build out these high-performance clusters that are customized for the AWS platform. And I think high-performance compute, in particular, is another thing that I'm starting to see a lot of. Uh, traction uh, around and so if we go back here let's scroll down and see you know again there's a bunch of other instances I'll, I'll maybe skip through them until I find something interesting now the one I think is very interesting here is uh, this M1 Mac instances I, I think when I'll give you a little bit of a story when I was working uh, as a CTO and I was building and, and even before that I've, I've actually managed many mobile teams and one of the real problems with mobile development before you could use Macs in a, in a cloud environment was you had to have a Jenkins server in your office and then Jenkins would be hooked up to, you know, some physical machines that were running OS 10. And it just really was a train wreck in terms of trying to automatically test your mobile applications. And so what's really cool about having the ability to run an M1 in Amazon is it opens up really a full cloud native environment. And also, if you think about the world we're in with COVID-19, where the offices are going away, this is yet the final, you know, uh, nail in the coffin for some of the things you had to do in person. Many organizations have probably gotten away with almost everything they had to do in order in order to um, run their own data center. But maybe some of them had to have a physical machine in their office. Now this just makes it go away. So I, I think this is a very exciting trend here. And what I really hope is actually it opens up some ideas for Swift potentially to be in a cloud-based environment. I, I think this is potentially very interesting, especially if Apple plays ball and they maybe become friends with some of the cloud providers. This really could be something that that is just something to watch for. Uh, and then also this outpost, I think, is an interesting product, you know, being able to run, you know, AWS where, where, where it comes to you. Definitely pretty interesting. And then in terms of uh, we got front end web and mobile. So Amplify Studio allows you to do uh, full stack apps with minimal coding. I think this is another trend we're seeing that's similar to the serverless stuff is is why are you writing code? 
the less code you write, the better. And I think we're going to be in a great world now where there's going to be less and less code written, which I, I, I'm actually all for. And so high-level tools uh, are going to be a trend. Also, we have uh, RDS Custom for SQL Server. So it allows you to, um, you know, basically a little more support for SQL Server, which I think is part of the trend of what's happening is AWS is supporting the .NET ecosystem quite a bit. In fact, I'm writing a book on .NET and C Sharp. So, so this is definitely going to be a trend in 2022. You're going to see a lot of .NET support for AWS. Now let's take a look at some of these other things. Um, Open3D Engine, kind of interesting. I don't, I don't really have that many comments on that, but definitely interesting to see there's, there's a uh, game technology evolving. The IoT, uh, we see a lot of you know IoT things here. Now the the Robo Runner is definitely pretty interesting. Uh, I've I have played a little bit with the robotics uh, technologies on AWS, including Robo Maker and uh, Deep Racer, and I, I think there's definitely a lot of really cool stuff. In fact, the Deep Lens uh, works with IoT, Green Grass. So so the IoT stuff is definitely uh, there. There's going to be some stuff happening here with edge-based computing. That's, that's worth uh, paying attention to. Now, in terms of machine learning, this is probably the place where there's so there, there's the, the most amount of traction here. We see there's Dev, DevOps Guru for RDS, detect, diagnose, and uh, you know fix problems in performance. You know, kind of an interesting concept. It will be interesting to see what happens there. Um, chatbots, I think a lot of companies are building chatbots. I mean, one of the things that's a real problem in the in the current world we're in is it's very difficult to find low skilled labor and so we're i think only going to see more and more of these chatbots because you know really that's not a great job is to be frontline uh, technical support where you're just doing something a robot can do uh, and so I, I think there's going to be a lot of traction in chatbots and then we also see that there's a bunch of things that have gone th down with SageMaker. There's SageMaker Canvas, which is an AutoML solution. There's some you know back and forth things I've heard from people about oh, should it go far enough, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But I think th one of the things that I do think will happen with uh, platforms like SageMaker and, and other cloud platforms is that AutoML it can only get better, and, and it's not in my opinion, possible that we're going to stay where we're at with AutoML. It may be crude, the, this version of it, but we're only going to see, I think, better and better tools around AutoML. And so if this is their first, you know, you know, real concerted effort to go deeper in, in increasing uh, AutoML capabilities for SageMaker, I'm sure we're going to see it improve. And then also this SageMaker Studio Lab, really a cool environment for people to try SageMaker out for free. So I, I think this is definitely something I would recommend is to to use these free lab-based environments to, to, to play around. So this is a very interesting concept, the fact that they're just letting people use SageMaker for free and no configuration Jupyter Notebook. It's a little bit like, I would say it's kind of a, a, a competition with a Colab Notebook where Google really in a way has set the bar with with having these hosted notebooks for free and so i hope there's a little bit of a of a head-to-head -head competition there because i think these hosted notebooks are really a, a big deal and they're only going to get bigger and bigger uh, as time goes on and then in terms of some of these other ones um you know mainframes control tower 
WAN preview, uh, private 5G. I mean, pretty pretty interesting things here. Uh, and then in terms of storage, I'll, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about storage here. One of the things I think is very, very interesting that's happening is that here we go, fully managed storage built on popular open ZFS uh, file system, this Amazon FSX, is I think we're going to see a large amount of, of organizations starting to think about the file system as a more important thing again. And I think this is because of Kubernetes and because of machine learning. So one other trend that I predict is going to happen in 2022 is that there's going to be these file system and Kubernetes machine learning ecosystems. And so this is yet another example of that. There's EFS, which uh, is Elastic uh, File System, and then there's also now FSX, this open ZFS file system. So if you are using Kubernetes, the reason for this is that you can actually spin up uh, instances very quickly or, or um, uh, containers very quickly. And in addition to that, you also have the ability to go through and um, you know, take these containers, take these instances and move them around uh, in, in these different environments. So th those are just from a high level, some of the things that I think that are interesting to, to take a look at. But uh, one of the other things that I'm gonna do here is uh, I'll, I'll take a look at basically uh, you know, a few other components. And uh, in, in, in one of them is how do you get started on AWS platform? And I, I think this is a, a really good point to bring up is that probably the number one thing that I would recommend for somebody is to start with a free tier. If you're just getting started on learning AWS, uh, I, I think there's no substitute for the free tier. That's the first place I would start. Now, let me just tell you about a couple other options. I think they're interesting. This is a little bit of a stealth option here, and this one is the uh, AWS Academy. And what's interesting about AWS Academy is that I use this quite a bit in teaching at some of the universities I teach at. And what's cool about it is that there's really no guardrails around it. You can immediately just start building out, um, you know, solutions with AWS Academy using a sandbox. And I guess I could take a I could show you real quick what that looks like. If we go to AWS Academy um, LMS, it, it, it is a canvas based system that allows you to uh, to basically, you, you know, launch launch this thing and, and give it to students. And so here's, you know, one of my uh, examples as I go and I log in here. And then, and then what I can do is I can actually go to my classes here and, and take a look at them. I can, I can schedule ones for delivery. And then once I go to the LMS itself, what you'll be able to see here is that it's a, a real environment where I can give students access to both the certification material for AWS, as well as something called Learner Labs, which allow you to just kind of play around and and, and launch things uh, without needing an account. So basically it's a free sandboxed uh, account. And, and this is really powerful for uh, instructors. And, and I definitely would recommend you know, people play around with this. And if we go here, I just look at one of the AWS Academy uh, resources here, you can see one of the killer features of this is that you can go through here and you can launch some of these labs. And let's just take a look at uh, a lab here. You can see there's there's a bunch of different um, 
instances here where, where you could go down here and, and, and play around and launch things. And, and, it, and it uses this technology called Volcarium to do it. So anyway, in a nutshell, if you're a student or a professor, I recommend that. There's also this AWS SageMaker Studio Lab Preview, which again is like a sandboxed environment. Definitely would recommend. Those are, those are some free resources that, that I think would be really good to, to play around with. Now, let's say now you've got a free tier account or you're in AWS Academy, you're in a sandbox, what's the next thing that you should do? My opinion is the basically the shortest path between two points uh, is a straight line. So what's the straight line for AWS? I would say either Cloud Shell or Cloud9. And let me give you a little bit of a, of a heads up on how this works. So let's say you have a free tier account. What's the first thing that you should do? Well, I would go here and I would go to your console and I say even before you do anything this is this is probably the best place that I would recommend is is if you look at the AWS interface there's an icon for cloud shell up at the up at the, towards the right you can just select this cloud shell icon and what it'll do is it'll prepare a terminal that has bash by default and why is this so useful is because it's the most efficient possible way to try out AWS commands. And in particular, one of the things I like to do when I first play around with this is, is show how you could type in the word AWS, type in the word LS, uh, S3, or S3, I'm sorry, S3 LS. So it's basically the AWS command, the service you want to interact with, and then sub, some command. In this case, I say, look, show me all the buckets that are in my account and i and, I, and you can see there's a list and what's great about this is because it's bash i can pipe it into other utilities like for example word count here we go aws s3 ls let's do a word count dash l i see there's 99 buckets so the the default limit for buckets is 100 so i've been too busy creating buckets i need to clean those up at some point uh, another thing that's really important is that not only can you use bash but there's two other shell environments that you can use so really the the cloud shell is suitable for python programmers c-sharp programmers ruby programmers whatever language you want to use and let's let's go ahead and take a look at uh, zsh so if i type in zsh notice that look it says now we're in zsh and i could configure my zsh environment the other thing that i can do is i also can type in pwsh what does this stand for? Well, it stands for PowerShell. What's cool about PowerShell is it allows me to use a Microsoft environment. And again, this is something that we're going to see more and more of with AWS as a, as a deeper support for the .NET ecosystem. And so what's cool is that I can actually write all kinds of code using PowerShell. In fact, what's nice is i get a little bit of both i have a little powershell and i'll have a little bit of linux and so let me just give you an example of something that you could do uh, i could i've actually done this a little bit earlier today i was playing around with some c sharp code and if i do vim and then i go and i pass in the name of uh, one of my scripts here which is hello ps uh, c sharp this is a powershell script i wrote let me just walk you through what it does so at the very beginning uh, I create a, uh, a a variable that basically uh, is able to capture uh, a little bit snippet of C sharp, right? And inside of here, it's just a hello world C sharp script. 
And so this is really the way that you could start to build out some solutions really, really quickly is just put your C-sharp code inside of a PowerShell script. At the bottom, you say add type, type definition code, which is the, the code that's in my variable. And then I tell it what language I want it to run in. In this case, I say C-sharp. And then basically, that's all I got to do. And, and you can see here, if I run this, uh, and let's see, this would be a dot PS, uh, C-sharp dot PS1 you can see here that it, it was able to actually execute successfully. So you can write C-sharp directly inside of PowerShell in this environment. And that's what makes it pr pretty cool. And, and again, what's kind of cool about this as well is that it has uh, PowerShell hooks into the AWS ecosystem, just like I showed you the Bash hook. Now, if I go back to Bash for a second here, uh, you know what, what's kind of cool about this Bash environment is that I could, you know, go through and build out, you know, scripts that actually talk to the uh, AWS ecosystem. And so, you know, for example, if I was going to, let's maybe uh, move this around a little bit. If I was gonna, gonna, gonna maybe make a, a hash table script here, uh, this this would be one of the ways I could do it. In fact, I'll just I'll just grab something I had earlier. Um, I had some Bash code that I was playing around with earlier. And I have something that is a hash table in Bash. And it's interesting, it's, it's got a lot of similarities in a sense to the way hash tables look, which are basically dictionaries like key value uh, arrays. And if, and if I go through here and I, and I paste this in, you, you'll, you'll be able to see what a Bash um, array looks like, which is a, basically it's a key value pair and I loop over it. So in this code example, uh, I basically say, Listen, um, I want to declare uh, some code here, and let's, let's put a little comment up here. Say requires requires Bash 4.0. So this this would only work with um, uh, 4.0, but basically you can declare a key value pairs here. I say declare uh, uppercase A, and then I say for key in the hash, go ahead and print some stuff out. So if we go ahead and run this thing, let's go ahead and say Bash. Um, hash table, right? You can see for breakfast, I like to eat fruit. For lunch, I like to eat salad. For dinner, I like to eat steak. So pre pretty succinct. And if I wanted to go through here and, and change this around so I loop over, let's say, buckets in S3, trivial to, to build something that, like that out. Now, let's switch over back again to PowerShell here. And let's take a look at a PowerShell script here that is similar. And what we'll see is if we go to um, hash table uh, in PowerShell, what's the big difference here? Well, the big difference between a hash table in PowerShell and Bash is, is, is not much, right? They look very, very similar. And so you can see in this example that what I do is I have a key value pair uh, set up and I do a for, for each loop. And then I go through here and I say something kind of similar. So. I guess the main takeaway here is that you can do things in PowerShell, you can do it in Bash, and, and again, I'll just run this for fun, is uh, is is basically the, the, the core idea, though, is that this environment is a great way to, to, to really leverage the ecosystem. It's, in my opinion, the, it's the straight line, right, is, 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 is the shortest distance between two paths. If you want to explore the AWS ecosystem, Cloud Shell is the way to go. Now, there are a couple problems with Cloud Shell. One is that it's not as featureful 
as for example, the uh, the cloud nine environment, which is more of like a cloud-based IDE. So let's let's go take a look at this. And so how do you get to cloud nine? You again, just go to the AWS console and just type in the, the service you're looking for. In this case, it's gonna be cloud nine. So that's one of the best ways to use AWS, just search for services until you find one. Now, what's cool about this uh, cloud nine environment is, and I'll just walk through here, is that you can create these like kind of sandboxed or throwaway environments whenever you want and just play around with AWS. So I'm gonna go ahead and, and walk through the interface here. I'm gonna say, you know, uh, new cloud nine uh, for, uh, let's see, how about .NET, right? So I wanna do some C-sharp development in here. Okay, well, next step. And then it's gonna ask me what I wanna do. So. I want to create a new instance and then it's going to ask me what size and, and this is really handy if, because if you're a student probably the free tier is totally fine just leave everything to, by the defaults but if you're a .NET developer or a go developer or java developer you may want to get a little bit beefier of an instance and in this particular scenario here uh like here we go m5 large it has eight gigs of ram and two cpus okay maybe this is more what i want Maybe I'm gonna be using containers. I'm gonna be compiling code. Let's let's get something a little bit beefier. And then as well, it gives you the opportunity to use Amazon Linux too, or a custom uh, Amazon Linux AMI, which is pretty interesting, right? Because you could develop your own, maybe that has all the tools installed on it for you, or um, basically you could use Ubuntu, right? So in this case, we'll say Amazon Linux too. That looks pretty good and we'll say next steps and then create the environment. Now, once you create the environment, it has a bunch of hooks inside of here that allow you to write Python code, Ruby code, Node code, C-sharp code. There's syntax highlighting for all this stuff inside of here. So I would say that for more software engineering, the Cloud9 environment is probably the place where I would spend the, the most amount of time. So. Uh, and what's great about the Cloud9 environment is that it auto times out after 30 minutes, but it saves your work. And so it really is, I think, the future is I think you're going to see a lot of people you know, moving towards these cloud-based development environments, especially because you can do things like you can mount the Amazon Elastic file system in, inside of here, which is pretty cool. You could also go through and you could um, you know, preview ports and you could run web services, all, all these kinds of things. Now, now notice if I go into the, the um, interface here that you can actually say new from template and there's a whole list of different templates that are supported by default, JavaScript, HTML, Python, C, C++, Go. And, and again, as I mentioned before, even it has support for C Sharp as well because it has syntax highlighting. So I think the Cloud9 environment in particular is definitely something to just be aware of. And, and it's something that I would I would recommend if you want to, you know, kind of configure things. So uh, I think probably the, the last thing that I'll that I'll cover here is that, again, if let's say you're first getting started with AWS, you know, what do you do? Get, get an account somewhere, right? Free tier Academy, SageMaker Studio um, to use the cloud shell, play around with things, but potentially also use Cloud9. The other thing that I would do as well is is that if you're able to go through and go back to the console, let's go to uh, console here. Uh, one of the things that is probably a, a good place to start is to go to IAM. And what is IAM? 
it's basically gives you the ability to create users, create groups, create roles. And, and this would be another place that I would recommend starting out is, is create a non-root user, go in, give yourself some level of permissions. And when you go through and you create an account, what will happen is that it will ask you uh, what level of privileges. And maybe even for fun, you can create a user that doesn't have a lot of privileges just to test it out and experiment with it. So really, this is probably what I would recommend in terms of a, a boot camp uh, about getting started on the AWS platform. So I guess what I'll, what I'll maybe close with today is that, uh, again, I'm going to be doing this every Tuesday, uh, 3 p.m., streaming it. Uh, and I'm also putting this into a podcast, which you, which you can grab on any podcast platform called 52 Weeks of Cloud. And I'm just going to go whatever's happening this week, if I'm writing code in a particular framework, or if I'm you know going through and building some kind of solution on AWS, I'm going to talk about it. Roughly will be like 30 minutes or so. Feel free to ping me or send me a message about something that you think is interesting to cover, and, and I'll make sure that I, I cover it. Uh, so nice uh, hanging out with anybody that was able to make it this week, and I will see you next week.